When I was in kindergarten, I attended a small elementary school in Ohio. And I remember distinctly two names from that year. The first belonged to the most popular girl in kindergarten. Now, you may not realize that popularity starts so young as in kindergarten, but the standards for what make you popular are different in kindergarten than in your teenage years. Lisa Cass was the most popular girl in kindergarten because she had lost all of her baby teeth before the rest of us. And I, for one, was very jealous of Lisa Cass. I was jealous of her, of her smile and her maturity, and boy, I just really struggled with that all year long. But the other name I remember is Mrs. Galbraith. Mrs. Galbraith was my kindergarten teacher, and boy, I loved her. She was wonderful. Now, she was strict. She used a lot of discipline in the classroom, but you could tell she loved her students, and she was very creative. That fall, she planned a special Thanksgiving celebration. And so we spent weeks learning about the history and the day and and preparing ourselves. We made pilgrim hats, all of the students, uh, pilgrim hats, the boys and for the girls. And, you know, something about a hat and with a kindergartner, they put them on their heads and you just feel transported back in time like you're in full costume And they were just simple construction paper hats. But they took them a while to make, and finally it was the big day. And we were told that we could put on our pilgrim hats. Well, unfortunately, one little boy couldn't find his. Now, luckily, our teacher had us print our names on the inside brim of the hat. And so I went over to the table where some of the hats were still placed, and I thought I'd help out. And so I picked up a hat, and I checked inside, and and it wasn't his, and I picked up the next one, and it wasn't his, and pretty soon I went through all the hats on the table, and then I noticed the boy standing next to me had already put a hat on his head, and so I pulled it off, and I read inside, and sure enough, it belonged to him, and and I thought that was kind of fun, and so I went to the next boy, and I pulled his hat off, and and I kind of looked at the name, and I don't know what happened, but I started to run amok. And I ran from boy to boy, flicking the hats off their heads. I didn't bother anymore to read any names on the inside. And I stopped bothering with the boys. I went through all the boys and then started on the girls and knocked all of their hats off as well. And I distinctly remember a moment thinking to myself, this is going to end badly. But once you've crossed over that line and you're having fun, you just keep going. And sure enough, it ended badly. And Mrs. Galbraith pulled my arm and pulled me to the side. And after she had restored order in the classroom, she found the boy's lost hat and gave that back to him. She had all of the students in the class sit down on the floor, cross-legged in a circle in front of her. And then she put me over her lap and proceeded to spank me in front of the entire class. Now, of course, you can't do something like that today. And I don't know if she should have done it then, but I have to tell you, it took. I never was spanked again in all my school days. It was effective. No, it wasn't painful. It was just embarrassing. But the worst part of it 
was that as I was being spanked, I looked up and happened to see Lisa Cass at the top of the circle just smiling and grinning and laughing at me. It was too much for me to bear. I was humiliated. But luckily, time passes in kindergarten and most of the rest of us lost the rest of our baby teeth. And Mrs. Galbraith had a spring celebration in mind for all of us. She gathered up all the kindergarten classes, and we were going to put on a school concert for everyone. We were all going to sing the song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Now, the kindergarten classes were broken up into groups, and each group was going to represent a different country in the world. And and that group was going to sing a portion of the song in that country's language. And I was part of the group that represented the country of Japan. And and I learned to sing part of the song in Japanese. And and I had this this costume to wear. And I remember that event as, as being in something special. I knew that it was a special moment. And so those two different events, one where I felt very alone, very embarrassed... And the other, I felt very connected with everybody in my class, with people all around the world, because we sang that song. That's the power that a song can have in our lives to change everything in a moment. This morning, we will be concluding our sermon series, Music That Changed the World. We all know songs and pieces of music that affect us in a deep way, that evoke strong emotions. Maybe it's kind of a a rally cry to action and justice. Maybe there are songs that bring back tender memories of loved ones that have passed away. And maybe there are those songs that no matter where or when we hear them, they lift our spirits. Music has the ability to change our lives and change our outlook on things. And if it does that, it also has the ability to change the world around us. Now, the song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, actually started off as a radio commercial. It was written in January 1971, and they package it as radio spots and send it around the country to radio stations. Now, the funny thing is that the Coca-Cola bottlers all over the country hated it. By and large, they couldn't stand it, but the public loved it. People started calling into the radio stations asking them to replay that commercial, so much so that the writers were encouraged to release it as a song. The ad agency, of course, saw potential, and they started right away working on a television commercial. They were given a budget of $100,000. They went to Italy, and they gathered up young adults from all over the world. And while they were there, they began to shoot the first time, and there was a a terrible rainstorm, and everything was kind of ruined, and so they would have to redo everything. Their $100,000 budget grew to $250,000 which made it the most expensive commercial at that time. Well, it became so successful. It was repeated and redone over the years. It was a powerful statement. 
One of the funny things that happened while they were shooting the commercial is that the lead actress in the commercial eloped during filming. And so two days before they were to shoot the commercial, they didn't have a lead singer. They went to the park and they found a British nanny who was pushing a baby carriage through the park. And they told her about the commercial and she wasn't interested. Finally, they talked her into it and she became the the first person you see in that original commercial, the blonde-haired woman who starts off singing. And she starts off singing the words, I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. Now, you have to admit that that's pretty schmaltzy. (laughs) But schmaltzy works, and it's the truth. They would go on to sing, it's the real thing, and it's what the world wants today. Now, I might disagree with Coca-Cola on what the real thing really is, but I agree that it's exactly what the world wants today. I think the world hungers for a sense of peace and harmony, that the world hungers for fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, And that is the real thing. And that is what we want today. Now, this commercial was one of the most successful commercials of all time. And you think about the words they sing and the time that it came out. It came out in 1971 with the Vietnam War. It was just a few years after the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. It was just a year after the shootings at Kent State University. There was civil unrest, there was racism, there was violence. Our country at that time was fractured and divided. And this song spoke to something deep within us, a hunger, uh, a need that God created within us for fellowship and peace. And the understanding that we are part of bringing that peace into the world. Now, this is a timely message for us today. If we look around our nation, we feel very divided. We have started to pull away from one another, and yet pulling away and being secluded, being away from others, is not what we really want in life. We want fellowship. And yet we hear messages in the news that would incite and encourage more division, but it doesn't have to be that way. We are called to bring about peace. Now, the hymn, Let There Be Peace on Earth, is a special one to me. A dear friend of mine told me several years ago that it was one of her favorites, and it's become one of my favorites as well. But I have to tell you that there's one phrase in that song in particular that just catches in my throat every time we sing it. And that is the phrase, let it begin with me. The hymn is a prayer to God, let there be peace on earth. And then a continuation of that prayer that we're asking God, let it begin in my life. We have a responsibility to bring about peace in this world. And we are asking God to bring that about. Now, today's scripture passage comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. He's writing from the area of Corinth in the middle of the first century. And he's writing to the Christian church there in a time of great tension for them. They were a new faith community. 
Christianity was very early. And so he's writing to them and he encourages them not to withdraw from their neighbors, but to be good neighbors with everyone, to show kindness and respect, even in the face of someone who wanted to be mean or unkind or have malicious intent. They were to respond with goodness. And I think these are important words of advice for us today. I think there are three things that I want to talk about that can help us to follow Christ in this kind of life. The first is that we are called to practice hospitality. Now, the root of the word hospitality comes from a meaning of caring for someone's needs. To know someone, to know someone personally that you can care for them, you can anticipate what they need in life. And so Paul is encouraging the early church to seek out fellowship with one another based on how they cared for each other, the compassion that they would show. In May of 2015, there was an odd Wikipedia post uh, for just a short time. It attributed the commercial song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, to a man by the name of Don Draper. Now, if you're familiar with the television series Mad Men, you know that Don Draper is a character, a fictional character on this show. And the Wikipedia post was a joke in reference to the season's finale show. Don Draper portrays, he's an advertising executive at this agency, and in this final show, he has inspiration, and he begins to see the world around him in a new light. He sees people in the world in a new light. And so the culmination of this inspiration is at the very end of the show, they start to play the 1971 Coca-Cola commercial, as if Don Draper dreamt it up. They show the, the young adults on the hillside in Italy singing, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Well, shortly after that was done, they corrected the mistake and gave it the the proper post, and they attributed the song to Bill Backer. Bill Backer was a creative director at the famous advertising agency McCann Erickson. Now, you may be familiar with another one of McCann Erickson's Coca-Cola ads, the one with Mean Joe Green and a little boy. Now, this commercial highlighted hospitality. You have mean Joe Green, who's this rugged, tough, mean, unapproachable football player, kind of limping off the field into the locker room. And and here comes this little boy. And this little boy tells him, you are the best player there is. And then he offers the football player his bottle of Coca-Cola, to which mean Joe Green takes it and he guzzles it all down And the little boy starts to turn away, and Mean Joe Green tosses him his football jersey and says, Here, kid, catch. In that moment, you have this little boy practicing hospitality to someone, sensing his needs and caring for him, and and how that hospitality affected the football player. In a very similar way, I'd like to teach the world to sing. That commercial is all about hospitality. The song is about caring for your neighbors throughout the world, uh, loving them, showing compassion and kindness. But the interesting thing is that the 
idea for the commercial was born out of a witness to hospitality. Bill Backer was in an airport in Ireland, and apparently the weather in London was so bad that it canceled all the flights in the surrounding airports. And so all of the flights at his airport were canceled, and people understandably were aggravated. They were angry. They didn't know how they were going to get home, make their meetings, make their connections. They were frustrated, understandably so, but there was nothing that could be done about it. So that he came back the next morning, and he was shocked to see that everyone's attitude had changed. And he started seeing groups of people sitting together, groups of three and four people, and they were drinking bottles of Coca-Cola. And he recognized that something as simple as a bottle of pop could bring people together. It's something that we have in common when we gather at a table to eat or drink. It's a common experience. And so he saw that that bottle of pop could bring about such a change in attitude. And and so he told his writing partners, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. And in that moment, he had the beginning of that song. But he also touched upon that deeper need that we all have. God created us with a need to practice hospitality, to show kindness and meet the needs of people around us. Second, we're also called to live in harmony and peace. I imagine several of you watched the recent Super Bowl. I have to tell you that I would have preferred two different teams playing, but it was an interesting game nonetheless. I wasn't in the room when the halftime show started, I've got nothing against her, but I'm just not a big Lady Gaga fan. But I heard her start to sing. And I have to tell you, she has an incredible voice. She sang the beginning of the song, God Bless America. And then she went into the beginning of the song, This Land is Your Land. And I found myself getting weepy over Lady Gaga. The songs were so powerful, and I think what happened was that it spoke to someplace deep in my soul that these were the words, this was the sentiment that we need in our country. We need to have a unity. We need to be drawn together in fellowship. We need to pray the prayer to God. God, bless our country. Bless America, the land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with your light from above. God can guide us in times of adversity and in times where we struggle with people who are different from us. But never should we jump to the conclusion that people who are different than we are are our enemies. We're all different. Look around this room. God created us that way. Paul admonishes the early church and speaks to us to live in harmony, live live peaceably with all. He tells them, do not be haughty, do not withdraw from the world around you, do not be conceited, do not look down on others. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the Christian community in Rome, And he's telling them to practice hospitality and kindness and love to the world around them. A world that was not Christian. He's writing to the Christian community. 
It's a small community at that time. He's writing to the church, telling them to be kind to those who weren't Christian, to those who were of a different faith, those who were of a different race, those who were a different culture and background, who did things differently. Be kind, be gracious, be respectful. Have, have those words changed for us today? We are called to show respect and kindness to all. As Christians, we can't forget that the early church was persecuted for its faith. And so we must stand up for others who are being persecuted for their faith. We can't allow that to happen. And all of us, at one time or another, have ancestors that someplace, sometime, were foreigners or refugees. We can live on different sides of the political fence and still be kind with one another and live in harmony. We are one family of faith. Tragically, the news today is so painful. We've seen violence and threats against Jewish synagogues. One of the synagogues in Tulsa was mentioned in a recent bomb threat. We've seen desecration of Jewish cemeteries. We've seen violence against Muslim mosques. We've been uh, witnesses to terrible acts of racism. And almost this sense of fear and distrust is is on the news or on the internet. and, And we don't have to follow that. We are called to treat the world around us with kindness and respect and to show goodness Jan, uh, or Jill Jackson Miller was a songwriter who passed away several years ago. But it would be uh, Jill and her second husband, Cy Miller, who would write the hymn, Let There Be Peace on Earth. They wrote it in 1955. But early in her life, she really had struggles. She was born the youngest of four children. And when she was just three years old, her mother died. She would eventually become a ward of the state and grow up in foster care. When she was old enough, she moved to Hollywood to become an actress. And there she met a director, a film director, who encouraged her to give up her career and settle down. They married in 1940 and very quickly had two beautiful daughters before he divorced her in 1944. She was a single mother of two children under the age of four with no job. And she became incredibly despondent, depressed, and she tried to take her own life. She wasn't successful, and she was put into a rehab program. And there is where she encountered Christ. And she felt the love of God for the first time in her life. And she had this awareness of unconditional love. And so this love of God for her would give her strength the rest of her days. It would shape her into the person that she would become. And because she had this confidence in the love of God, she knew that she didn't have to change the beliefs of people around her. She could live in peace with all people. She and her husband, Sai, were called to write a song and lead a youth retreat in 1955. 180 youth from all over the world, from different faiths, different cultures, different backgrounds, gathered in California 
And at one point, they gathered in a circle and locked arms and sang that hymn. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? 180 youth of different races and religions in 1955 singing a prayer for God to bring peace on earth and singing that prayer that it would begin in their lives. When the retreat was over, all of these young adults took that song back home to their homelands, to their communities. And so that hymn has been all around the world and it's a part of several different religious traditions. It's an important message for us today. It's our prayer Let there be peace on earth. And God, let it begin with me. And third, we are called to overcome evil with good. Paul tells the early church and us to do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. Do acts of goodness, even in the face of persecution or oppression, to those mean people in the world. And there are mean people. But we can't out-mean the mean people out there. We can show kindness, and we're good at that. Now, many of you have heard us talk about 2017 being the 500th anniversary of the time where Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. It was one of the most important moments in the Protestant Reformation. In the Reformation, incredible things happened, one of them being that it was now permissible for people to own and possess a Bible, and they were encouraged to read it for themselves. But for all the positive changes that the Reformation would bring about, It came at great cost. There was violence and bloodshed from all parties. There's a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli. He was a Reformation leader in Switzerland 500 years ago. And early in his ministry, he was a chaplain in the Swiss Army Mercenary Unit. And he would follow this group around in ministry. And while he was doing that, he experienced the horrors of war. He saw the pain and the suffering, and when he returned back home, he vowed to never again be a part of anything violent. He was a man of peace. He preached peace. He spoke against any violence until people in his city developed different beliefs than him. And then he supported when many of them were arrested and some of them were executed. He began to develop armies, and he went to war against people who had different beliefs. It didn't matter if they were Catholic or Protestant. He didn't want people being different than him. This former man of peace chose violence as the way that he would handle the differences in the world. Why would we ever think violence was going to put an end to violence? It just adds to the problem. Goodness is the way to solve those kind of situations. God calls us to a life of charity and compassion. Paul tells us, if you have an enemy who is hungry, feed him. If you have an enemy who is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, one of the commentaries 
reflected on this scripture passage in a really profound way. I want to read what it said. Yes, there is evil out there in the world, but God's people are to meet it in the way that even God met it, with love and generous goodness. The theology of the cross, in fact, can be glimpsed under this maxim. When God came to defeat evil, this was not achieved by using an even greater evil, but by using its opposite, namely the surprising and initially counterintuitive weapons of goodness. To be consumed with vengeful thoughts or to be led into putting such thoughts into practice is to keep evil in circulation, whereas the way to overthrow evil, rather than perpetuating it, is to take its force and give back goodness instead. We are called to show kindness even to those people who would seek to be mean to us, to do us harm. We are called to feed them, to give them something to drink, to show them compassion and mercy. It says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome it with goodness. We're called to a life of of harmony and peace. And that may be schmaltzy, but it works. Our prayer, our continual prayer, and this is really what is needed in the world. Our prayer is, let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.